it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, guys, welcome back to Killer Queens. Or welcome for your first time. Yeah, either way, you're welcome. Yeah, everybody's welcome here. We've got a pretty... I don't know the right word for this case. We've got a... What's the opposite of scrumtralescent? Um, not that any of them are that word, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it makes me want to throw up. Yeah. A lot. It's like a disgusting dumpster fire. Yeah. If this case was an emoji, it would just be the vomit emoji. Yes. Yeah. So there's that. We have got a bunch of trigger warnings today. So we've got cannibalism, child molestation child murder, sadomasochism, paraphilias, attacks on people with disabilities. If any of those things are not your jam, which we completely understand, totally understand, then, you know, hit pause, come back next week, see what else we've got going on. Uh, or you could hit up the Patreon and listen to other cases in, in the meantime. Get your binge on with like over a hundred something bonus episodes plus our first 44 episodes. We've been having people ask about those. Those are over on the Patreon. So, you know, there's other things to keep you busy, but if this is not your jam, we totally get it. And if you decide to sidestep this one, pray for us that are going through it. (sighs) Yes, please do. And there are, uh, I mean, obviously, you know what case it is. You clicked on it, but this, the Albert Fish case, there's a lot of very gruesome details and we don't normally we don't normally leave out you know a lot of the details i mean we go through them because they're part of you know medical examiners notes or autopsies or it has to do you know with evidence in the case and all that kind of stuff a lot of the detail in this case really don't have to do with the investigation and they're really just they hurt my heart to go through, and I think that they will hurt your heart too. So we're not going to go into all of the details. It just doesn't need to happen. Yeah, I think that's smart. Yeah. So, so know that um, you know if you can't, if you know some details about this case, and you're like, I can't listen to it in that much detail. We're not going to go way too far into that. It, it is just, it's too much. It's too horrific. Yeah. So shall we? 
shall we? I mean, we shall. Yes. I'm asking you. Shall, shall we? we ever? Albert Fish was actually born Hamilton Howard Fish on May 19th, 1870. His father, Randall Fish, was the captain of a riverboat. What? Wasn't Reminds that... Reminds me of um, Friends. Yes. When they <laughs> asked Ross about his seat and, or suit, and they're like, You're, are you the captain of a riverboat tonight or yeah. whatever? <laughs> oh, are you going to tell us how you invented the cotton gin? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he was an actual captain of a riverboat. And then a fertilizer manufacturer. Uh, Randall was 75 years old and his wife, Ellen, was 43 years old. Jeez Louise, that is the biggest age difference. Yeah, never heard of that. Like, I've heard of people being like 15, 20 years apart, 43. That's a ton. I do think that it's important to note that Albert's dad was in the shit business and that plays a part a little bit later. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Maybe it was just he was primed for it. Maybe. Just in his blood. It's in your blood. He was the youngest of four living children. There was Annie, Walter, and Edwin. And because he was given the nickname Ham and Eggs, he decided he wanted to change his name. I wouldn't want to be called Ham and Eggs either, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Kids are so fucking mean. And the some of the things that they come up with are so creative. Because, yeah, I mean, you got to give it to them. It's, it's creative. Who would have thought of that? I would never have thought of that. Yeah. But, it's also really, really cruel. <laughs> I know. It's like, why? What? Like, what is the point? Yeah. People are so mean. When our friends were pregnant with their son, they were like trying to go through names of what they were going to name him. And um, my friend was like, okay, for every name that we're like, okay, this is on the list. Like, we could potentially name him this. We go through all of the cruel, hateful, mean nicknames that kids could come up with in school. And they're like, they were like trying to avoid those like hateful names. So they ended up with Tucker and she was like, the worst I can really think of is Tucker the fucker. And he (laughs) probably will be kind of a fucker sometimes. So I'm feeling like that's going to be okay. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I love it. That's so funny. That's what we got. She was like thinking it it through. But who would have ever thought like, okay, Hamilton, no, they're going to call him ham and eggs. We better go with something else. Right. And it wasn't, this was way before Tiny Toon Adventures. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, they're real uh, trendsetters here. I know, pave the way. For being honest. Okay, so he didn't like ham and eggs. All right, we get it. So he started going by Albert, and Albert was the name of one of his siblings that had passed away, um, I think before he was born, but that's how he chose that name. So in 1875, Randall, his father, died of a heart attack, and he was the breadwinner of the family. So Albert's mom, had to care for all the children by herself and she was not having an easy time with that. So she ended up putting Albert into an orphanage and I I couldn't remember, I can't remember if the other kids went into the orphanage or not because they were older, but he definitely had to go into an orphanage. So there at St. John's, he was beaten often And the weird thing about him being beaten all the time, I mean, it's horrible. He's a child. He should not be being beaten like that. But he actually figured out that it sort of got him, it aroused him. Yeah. In a sexual way. 
So they're beating him and he's getting boners every time. And the more he gets like an erection, the more they beat him. And I'm like, well, wouldn't you change your tactic at this point? Like, he just likes it. It, aren't you yeah. going to punish him? Like, I don't know. But I mean, and I'm not saying that anybody should be beaten or any other like punishment tactic should be taken. It's just like, guys, l- let's stop here. But I mean, he really liked it. Like, and it, that we hear about this with so many serial killers at, at there is a defining moment where they begin to associate arousal, sexual arousal with violence in some way. I don't feel like we hear about as many where it is violence toward himself. Right. But, and we'll see in this case that it's fluid back and forth, but it initially started with him being brutally beaten gets him aroused. Yeah. And from such a young age. A very young age because like, I knew that he was in the orphanage, but I at that point I was like kind of not I wasn't really thinking necessarily about the timeline or how old he was when he went in. But when he got out, when his mom finally got back on her feet and went to get him out so she could bring him back home, he was nine. So he's between seven, you know, between like six and nine at this orphanage. And I I asked my husband, I was like, I'm not trying to be gross, but like did you get a boner when you were like seven years old? And he's like, not on purpose. And I was like, yeah, I know, like, you know, the body does things sometimes. But I was well, like, yeah, but like, not as a direct result of something that was uh, sexually stimulating, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's your body reacting. You're completely out of control of it. You don't yeah. like, think a thought and it happens. It just does. Exactly. Yeah. Just like, I think younger boys like randomly it'll happen or like when they wake up or like whatever. But yeah, he was like, no, absolutely not. There was no thought in my head like that. I didn't associate it with that at all. Like definitely not that young. Cause I was like, that seems way too young for those kind of. Well, we kind of discussed this in the outcry episodes, like for on Mm -hmm. our Patreon, kids don't think in terms of anything being sexual. It's they're I would think that they're supposed to be or just innately innocent at that age. Mm -hmm. And for him to kind of understand what that, what that arousal, arousing feeling feels like went before nine years old. Yeah. That doesn't make any kind of, I mean, that's just, it's, it's incredibly interesting. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Where where did he get that information? Because, I mean, that's a big part of the outcry thing, too, is the people being like, well, a little kid like that isn't going to ha- talk about something like that, know something like that without being exposed to it, right? Because they don't come up with that on their own. They're not thinking that way. Where did he get that information? Yeah, it's just, I don't know, a little food for thought there, I guess. Yeah, definitely. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So he gets back home with his mom because she gets back on her feet. When he was like 11 years old, he said he fell from a cherry tree and he got a really bad concussion. And then after that, he had constant headaches. He would get dizzy spells and he had a significant stutter that he didn't have before. Okay. Again, we're talking about a like significant head trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He Well, and I also read that he was a bedwetter for... Many years and, you know, he definitely hits, I mean, he hits the, he ticks a lot of boxes, right? Yeah. In 1882, 12-year-old Albert began a relationship with the boy who delivered telegraphs. Okay, so Albert Fish is already having some possibly deviant thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And this guy just opened his world into this whole other like dark and twisted arena. Now, I know that I was quite the late bloomer when it comes to like romantic relationships and things like that. But at 12, I know, I that's, I know, but yeah. But it's like, I guess he already discovered sexual attraction years before that. I know, it's crazy. That's so it young. Is. Like 12 would be when you're just starting to be like, okay, I think I like boys. Like, right. I want a boyfriend or whatever. So they started drinking each other's urine mm-hmm. and they started literally eating shit, like each other's shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. He also started spending his weekends like creeping around public baths and watching boys get undressed. So. I guess they didn't have an actual bathroom for showering. So they kind of had these public areas where people could go and he'd go. And well, public baths are not a brand new concept. I mean, in like Europe, or I think in Europe, they did it a lot. Um, I know there are like Russian bathhouses and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard the term bathhouse a lot. Even in like the 80s, they would have, you know, in some of yeah. those, I can't remember what. Was it uh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Wouldn't he go to bathhouses all the time? Mm, mm-hmm. That was in the 80s. In 1890, he moved to New York City and reportedly became a male prostitute. And those were his words. There were mixed reports on this, but it, it came from him. It was his claim. And he also claimed to, at that point, have been raping and molesting young boys. His mom decided at this point that she's like, okay, my son needs to grow up and get married. So she arranged a marriage for him with this 19-year-old girl. And they ended up having six kids together. 
They got married in 1898. So their kids were Albert Jr., Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. And during this time, Albert was a house painter. I feel like, okay, so he's got Albert Jr. Obviously, he probably didn't want his son to go through what he went through, but he could have had an Albert Jr. and a Hamilton Jr. Yeah, he could have. Everyone's a junior, yeah. Yeah. But I guess he didn't want to do a boy named Sue thing. Yeah. He didn't want to perpetuate that. I get that. He didn't want to he didn't want to make him tough as nails. He could have had one kid named Ham and one kid named Eggs. <laughs> He'd be like, Ham and Eggs, get in here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, if ham got sick or eggs got sick. I do not like green eggs and ham. Exactly. Yeah. Too far. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in 1903, he was arrested and put in Sing Sing prison for embezzlement. While he was in prison, he was reported to have sex with numerous other male inmates. And it also seemed like his wife kind of was aware of his extramarital affairs. And she didn't really have a whole hell of a lot to say about it. I don't think she, I don't think she was super into Albert either. Well, it that makes more sense knowing that it's a it was an arranged marriage. Yeah, exactly. But when he was not in prison, he also continued to assault little boys. He claimed that the boys he molested were typically under the age of 6, no. which was his preference. It's disgusting. I was just like I was playing with my kids last night and you know, we're running around and you know, just having fun. And I'm just watching them and thinking like, what a sick fuck this guy is. Like, ugh, I don't know. They're babies. I just do not get it. Mm-mm, no. At one point in his time outside of prison, Fish had young male lovers, one of whom took Fish to a waxworks museum. And at this museum, he found a bisection of a penis. And he was immediately enamored with it. Like, he fell in love with this look, I guess, like a disarticulated penis. And he was like, I'm obsessed with castration now. Your hobbies include house painting. Uh Uh-huh. Young boys and castration. He would not have a good dating profile. No, he certainly would not. And be like, uh, I'm gonna got a bad feeling about this guy. I think I'm gonna skip it. See, okay. Here's the thing though, and I don't even know what argument I'm making, but it's interesting because there's so many people that are like, well, and not that I'm a free the nipple kind of person, because I don't particularly like to be nude or naked at all. I'm very uncomfortable in my own body. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't like that either. I have no business seeing myself naked. Yuck. No, it's none of my business. <laughs> and I honestly, I don't even like to be so. I'm so weird about like I like to be covered up at all times. It's just a comfort thing for me. I'm cold always, so being yeah. like without socks on, even I'm like, oh no, no. But people are the argument societally or whatever is that women showing too much makes men go crazy, right? Like they can't control themselves. This guy's looking at anatomical, <laughs> like yeah. basically reading a biology book, and he's uh-huh. like getting his rocks off on it. Like, that's not an argument. 
Right. Yeah. Could you imagine him in a fucking anatomy and physiology class or like in medical school training? Dude, it'd be like that guy on My Strange Addiction where he's popping balloons. Like they'd be like, well, uh, refer to diagram 6B. And he's like, uh, oh, God. Yeah. I, that, oh God, that's so gross. I know. That's so I mean, like, again, to each his own. I don't need to see it happening on TV. Like, yuck. Well, to each his own, but we're talking about specifically a really sadistic fuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) Okay. He eventually, because now he's obsessed with castration, he needs to find somebody to castrate. Mm -hmm. So he develops this relationship with a man who was reportedly had intellectual disabilities. And he tried to castrate him, but thank God this guy escaped and he was unsuccessful. This is very Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh huh. He also was a frequent visitor to brothels where he would request to get beaten and get whipped. So, like, sometimes he would actually have sex and then sometimes he would just ask to be brutally beaten. And that's it with a lifetime original role. Exactly. It's. You know, and again, like, hey, if that's what you're into, two consenting adults, yeah, paying for some, some light slams. Sure, yeah, do what you got to do. Yeah, smoke them if you got them. Yeah. In 1910, Albert met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Kedden, who he ended up taking to what he referred to as an old farmhouse. He said he tortured him over the course of two weeks. Then he tied him up and cut off half of his penis. Mm. He also said, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me, which I'm sure, I mean, I cannot imagine. He had originally planned to kill Thomas Kedden, but it was warm outside and he was worried the hot weather would draw attention to a decomposing body. So, you know, you're not going to want that. Right. So he came up with an alternative solution. He poured peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, gave him a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye, and left. He's like, here's some money for your troubles. Wow. Yeah. He said he took the first train he could get back home, never heard what became of him, or tried to find out. But I heard that he kept the part of the penis that he cut off. Oh, uh uh-huh. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's disgusting. In 1917, Fish's wife had had enough and she left him for another man. This man was John Straub, who was a handyman and rented a room at the Fish house. But Albert said when he got back home one day, just like all of their stuff was gone and just the kids were there. She literally like, left him because at first I'm thinking like good for her like she finally got out of this because he's a sick fuck and then I'm like you left your children with a serial killer like I mean I know she didn't know he was a serial killer but like what the fuck you're just gonna leave your kids she knew enough to know that he's not the best influence on them though yeah he's not well yeah and she didn't even leave like he said she didn't even leave a mattress for the kids to sleep on like she literally left nothing it was just like best wishes see you later and their youngest child was five when she left. Like, wow. come on. But his children remember that they said this was the time when Albert started to say that he was hearing voices and he started exhibiting really disturbing behavior. 
He, Albert Jr. told the story of a time when Albert Sr. was on a hill near the house and he had his arms outstretched and he was claiming to be Jesus Christ. And it was also around that time that Fish claimed to hear the voice of John the Apostle who was directing him to do certain things that were not, they were nonsensical and didn't make any sense. Okay, I'm about to tell you the one good thing there is about Albert Fish. <laughs> he, he did not beat his children. He never did. He never beat his children. I'm actually incredibly surprised though. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to totally negate all that. Unredeem him. Yeah. Because while he didn't beat his children, he did have them beat him, presumably for sexual gratification. So he would ask his children like, He'd have them like ride on his back or whatever, and he'd give them like paint stirs and a hairbrush or whatever, and they'd ask them to hit him with it. Or or he'd be like, he'd be like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, do this or that or whatever. And then if he couldn't do it, they got to hit him or whatever. And can you imagine how disgusted they would be being like, you know, as a little kid, you're like, oh, this is funny. Like I get to hit dad, whatever. And then you grow up and you're like, ew, he was doing that to get his rocks off. Like, Well, I mean, you could imagine though, depending on what he's wearing, you would see a bulge. You would think. But, you know, know. yeah, gross. Yeah, it's just so, ugh. Just the amount of psychological and emotional damage those, uh, everyone involved had to go through. Yeah, absolutely, everyone involved. They also said that they saw him hitting himself with a paddle that had nails in it more than once. Just asking for tetanus. Good God. Yeah, exactly. In 1919, Fish was in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., where he stabbed a boy who was reportedly of a lower intellectual ability. He was very prone to choosing victims that what he said were either like mentally disabled in some way or African-American because in his mind, like people wouldn't miss them. They just, they wouldn't be reported missing. They wouldn't be missed. The police wouldn't put a lot of time and effort into it. So as long as he stuck to those victims, he should be home free. The thing about that is the reason why that is so sad is because it's been true. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's very sad. Like, people are people. Yeah. I don't understand why one person's life is valued more than another person's life. Mm -mm. No, not in any way. And yeah, that's just so sad. Mm -hmm. What a dick. Yeah. On July 11th, 1924, Fish saw eight-year-old Beatrice Keel on her parents' farm in Staten Island. She was playing outside on her on her own farm when he approached her. He offered her money to help him pick rhubarb and she was ready to go with him. Like, you know, he's finding ways to lure people and he does pretty well with that. So he's like, oh, you know, if I offer her money, I bet she'll come. So she's like, all right, let's go. And thank God her mom saw them like walking off together and she was like, squeeze me. Where do you think you're going? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. And she was like, you get your ass back over here and made him leave. So he left and then he fucking came back that night and was like a hiding out in their barn and he'd like fallen asleep or something. And her dad was like, a squeeze me. 
who are you? And shoot him away again. And I guess after the second time, he was like, well, I guess they're just not going to let me take their daughter then. Yeah, at that time, apparently it finally stuck. And he was like, all right, okay. Okay, calm down. (laughs) What's the big deal? (laughs) So when his attempt to lure Beatrice Keel was unsuccessful, Albert quickly found another child. On July 15th, 1924, eight-year-old Francis X. McDowell was playing on the porch while his mom nursed her infant daughter near Port Richmond, Staten Island. Both she and Francis saw a quote-unquote gray-haired, frail old man walking down the street. The gray man was mumbling to himself and clenching and unclenching his fists. Anna McDowell, Francis's mother, said, he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself, making queer motions with his hands. I'll never forget those hands. I shuddered when I looked at them, how they opened and shut, opened and shut, opened and shut. I saw him look toward Francis and the others. I saw this thick gray hair, his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed gray and faded. Later that day, Francis was playing at the park when he disappeared. When he missed dinner, his family began looking and asking his friends. The friends saw him follow an elderly man with gray hair into the woods. The family led by Francis's father, a police officer who would later transfer to Staten Island so he could work his son's case, organized a search party. They entered the woods and later found Francis's body under branches. His clothes were ripped off and Francis had been horrifically beaten and then strangled with his own suspenders. Mm. The autopsy would show that Francis had eaten raisins before his death. It was thought that this is what fish used to lure Francis. That makes me really, really sad. That is so sad. Like, also, I feel like that's a sign of the time, too, because I don't think you could get my kids to go anywhere for raisins. No, I've never been a raisin fan, particularly. I used to really like raisin bran. I'm not sure yes, why, you did. but yeah, I have no idea. Well, I think what it is is you've got a little case of the Benjamin Buttons where. As a, at a young age, you were really in your grandma stride. You're hitting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, there's a sale on capsaicin HP. I like that. <laughs> That's true. I was really into magnolia shit too when I was younger. Yeah. Like fifth grade. So. Everything like had magnolia. Like cabinet magnolia shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I feel like now... I thought it would be fun to name some things that we could be lured by now. Starbucks. Check. Yes. Mm-hmm. A sale on high-waisted skinny jeans. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Uh, seasonal Tupperware. I like that a lot. Oh. You're like, hey, lady, come over here to my grape van. I have some seasonal <laughs> Tupperware on sale. I'll be like, on sale? With matching lids and everything? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) A discount organization magazine subscription. Oh, yeah, that's... Throw a discount on that. I think two, which goes hand in hand with the organization magazine subscription, you really enjoy different kinds of baskets. Oh, I love a basket, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we all know for me it would be anything like... 90s toy inspired oh my god that's my favorite color yes yeah (laughs) yeah here's i've got a bunch of different glitters if you want to come check them out or um (laughs) here i've got a tamagotchi collection yes i am all in i'm ready for it 
Yeah. I wouldn't think twice. I don't even care. I I would not. All thoughts, all rational thought would leave my mind immediately. And I'd be like, I'm going, come, I'm coming. Don't leave without me. Yeah, exactly. Hey, wait for me. Wait for me. Yes. That's just, yeah, that's insane. It's terrible. I know. The degree of physical assault led the coroner to believe that it couldn't have been an elderly man that killed Francis. This caused police to think maybe the gray man wouldn't or couldn't have done this. Possibly the old man was the one that lured him and someone else killed him. The gray man was still the only and prime suspect, but that's all they had to go on. Well, police, I think we're learning the hard way that why they say assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah, I think so. Because that's exactly what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that. I get that like you would think that an that a fragile, frail old person maybe couldn't overpower somebody, but th- these are kids. Right. And they are naturally conditioned to listen to adults. Like that's what they do. So being an adult, you're going to be able to get a child probably using just your authority as an adult into a position where they are basically a sitting duck. Mm-hmm. You don't have, it doesn't have to be this like fight to the death or whatever. Once you've got them tied up or whatever it is that you're, you're going to do, then, then you've pretty much got free reign to do what you want to do. I don't understand why everybody is saying, I saw a gray haired man walk off with him and they're like, couldn't have been, you don't know what you're talking about. This was a young person. Well, and also I think that Albert Fish really played up his like old, feeble, elderly mm-hmm. shtick. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. he's fumbling around and can't walk straight and whatever and just like, oh, don't mind me. I'm just old and I, you know, my bones are made of glass. Mm-hmm. And then when you turn he gets somebody alone, he probably could muster up the strength, you know, because he had it all along. Like He wasn't that old. He wasn't even in his 60s yet, I don't think, here. Right. And I mean, look at people like Steve Martin. He's had gray hair since 1982. Like, you can go gray early. Richard Gere. Yep. Yeah. So, like, just because a guy has gray hair doesn't mean he's old as hell. (laughs) Like, it's just... If a woman has gray hair, though, that does mean that she's old as hell. Oh, she's haggard. And call her only things like spinster. Yeah, things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. It's disgusting for a woman to look not radiant in 22 all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ew. I hate Mm -hmm. that. Oh, no. Same. Yeah, but men, they look great. Yeah, that nice. They look always great. So nice. Yeah. I mean, you can go gray earlier. You don't have to. And like you said, he's playing that up too. So he's just like, oh, I'm so old. And like, you know, he could. You can carry a cane and not need a cane. Like, exactly. I don't know if he carried a cane, but I'm, you know, just like there are things that you can do. You can put it on and yeah. pretend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I do when I'm about to get a ticket. I'm like, oh, officer, um, I'm stupid. I don't know what's happening. I can't read. Just kidding. I don't ever get tickets. <gasps> I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. What? If I say that out loud, it's going to happen today. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, probably. Yep. You're going to take it today for sure. A little Christmas ticket. Great. <laughs> well, you asked for it. I literally you? just did. You, I know. you just did. I got pulled over. I've gotten pulled over a couple of times. And the last time that I almost got a speeding ticket, 
which is the last time I I sped, and that was about <laughs> 13 years ago, yeah. was uh, I was like going 60 in a 45, and the officer was like, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, dude, I was speeding. It's not okay. I'm sorry. I'm late for work. It's my fault. But I don't want to be late for work and I don't want to get in trouble. So I was speeding and I'm sorry. You and were he was honest. Like, yeah, it. he was like, you know what? Because you're that honest, I'm just going to give you a warning. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. I love so it. So he didn't give me People a ticket. People respect the honesty. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's not the same because I was being a shit, but I did get pulled over because I was speeding because of reasons. I don't have to explain myself to you, but <laughs> the cop pulled me over and he was like, do you, again, do you know how, why I pulled you over? And I was like, I was speeding. And he was like, well, why were you going so fast? Because I didn't know you were there. <laughs> <laughs> why do well, you think? If I knew you were there, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, next time, could you please let me know and I'll slow down before I get to you. God. Well, when I saw him, I slowed down. I thought that was good enough. I don't know. <laughs> Like, whoops, my bad. Yeah. that And that was like literally the last time I was speeding because I was like, I am going to get a ticket next time I know it. I've already got a warning. Everybody knows it. I'm you getting a ticket. Yeah. You can't like press that luck too much. Mm-mm. Yeah. I literally go under the speed limit all the time. People hate me. You really? No, I do. I cannot stand to drive with you. It like, <laughs> gives me anxiety because I'm like, oh my God, just go to the speed limit. Yeah, people like pass me all the time. People pass me in my neighborhood too, which I don't appreciate because I feel like no. 25 in a neighborhood is appropriate. I go 25 is 30. in neighborhood. Yeah, I but I think 25 is fine and people fucking mm-hmm. pass me. Yeah. So annoying. Get over yourself. All right, well, we probably just got a horrible review. <laughs> we, I know we did. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. On February 11th, 1927, four-year-old Billy Gaffney was playing in the hallway just outside of his apartment with his three-year-old friend and neighbor who's also named Billy. So we've got two Billies here. We're going to refer to them as four-year-old Billy and three-year-old Billy just to keep them separate. An older boy, 12 years old, came out to play as well. And this boy was babysitting his baby sister. She was inside taking a nap. He heard her start crying, so he goes back in to check on her. After a few minutes, he comes back out, and both the boys were gone. The police were contacted, and they found and talked to the three-year-old Billy. And when they asked him who took, because at this point, they don't have four-year-old Billy Gaffney. And when they said, who took him, where did he go? He said the boogeyman took him. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying. It, it like is. gives you chills. And 
they kind of didn't take it seriously, the fact that he said the boogeyman because he's three. But now that we like know everything that we know, yeah, the boogeyman did take him. Like, yeah, we know exactly who the boogeyman is. Yeah. They thought, though, that maybe Billy Gaffney had fallen into the Gowanus Canal. I don't know if that's how you say that. So they dredged it, but they didn't find any sign of him. And his body has never been recovered. So crazy. Now we have the case that is like the beginning of the end for fucking Albert Fish. I I hate his ass. Yeah. May 25th, 1928, 18-year-old Edward Budd had placed a classified ad in the Sunday edition of New York World. So his ad was, young man, 18, wishes position in country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street. This is like wild to me that like you would just put your address in the paper (laughs) for anyone to see. Got your wiener hanging out for everyone to see. (laughs) Well, for forever in the yellow pages, they had people's phone numbers and addresses like. Oh, that's true. You mean the white pages? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what, what I said. said. No, that's what I said. No, that's what I said. You just need to clean your ears out. You oh, bitch. okay. Well, <laughs> little Took a turn. bitch. <laughs> really did. You're an angry elf. I am. But I also think okay. So obviously, times were different in the 20s. Clearly, sure. Because that's damn near 100 years ago. But also. Not just times, but like the way people spoke. Because if I read an ad that says, young man wishes position... Po- no, I can't even say it. You can't young even man read. wishes... <laughs> yeah, I would just be like, what are all these symbols on this paper? I don't understand. I feel like it's trying to tell me something. Yeah, I don't get it. WTF. <laughs> um, young man wishes position in country. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that obviously. Mean? What is... What even does that, what kind of position? You want like a yoga position? Missionary position? Oh. I don't know. I don't know what kind of position. Now we're into like a personal ads type of thing. Strawberry wine. Ooh. What's that other song by Garth Brooks? Oh, man. Tori, you know. Oh, that summer? I went to work for her that summer. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That song. That's what, now we're getting into that territory. Yes, we are. Where her hands of leather went. Uh, went to velvet in a touch. That's offensive. Why? Because she's, she's old and leathery. No, she works hard on the farm. Okay. Okay. She has access to lotion, Garth. Maybe she doesn't. I don't know. Maybe she just puts lard on her hands every night. I don't know. That's better than lotion. Crisco. Yeah. Okay. So anyway... <laughs> Okay. Okay. So Edward was from a desperately poor family in the crowded city with too many kids. Edward and his four younger siblings in a dirty, cramped tenement apartment. He wanted to get out of this life and get out of the city and to better himself. So he looked for work in the country where there was clean, fresh air. Unfortunately, Albert Fish was the man to answer the ad. Three days later, on the 28th, 58 year old Fish came to the Bud apartment in Manhattan. And he came under the guise of wanting to hire Edward. See, and this is the thing. Everybody's talking about Albert Fish. Now, I don't think that anybody should be like, what a great man. He's real strong. He's super strapping. But they all talk about him like he's this feeble, frail old man. 58. 
I know. I know. That's what, like, he's got to be playing it the hell up. Like, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, he's 58. That is not, now, if you're listening and you're 18, you're like, he might as well be dead, right? But, like, (laughs) we're in our 30s. 58 is not that old. It's not that old. There are even some Oh, Jay yeah. Was 51. Yeah, exactly. It's no. And the guy in the Bowflex commercial, he's 72. Goodness gracious. Come on. Come, come on. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did not have a Bowflex, though. So he was not staying lean and staying tight, mm. pumped, torqued. Uh, he was staying torqued. That's one thing he well, was that staying. That is true. Yeah. As long as he wasn't beefy, slapping him. No, not beefy. He okay. This is my favorite thing. He introduced himself as Frank Howard, and they're like, "Oh, Frank, what do you do?" And he's like, "I'm a a farmer." And they're like, "Where do you where do you hail from, Frank?" And he's like, "I'm a farmer from uh, Farming Dale. (laughs) I'm a I I am a farmer from Farmingdale, and my farm is where I do farming." And my favorite song is The Farmer in the Dale. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. you know, that's not, don't worry about that. It's just, it's funny that I bought a farm and there was a town named Farmingdale. It's just a coincidence is all that is. Right. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't check on it though. No, you're not going to want to check on that. No. Um, what an idiot. But they, I know. <laughs> George that, Glass. Like, I know, exactly. That's all I could think of was like George Glass. But everybody liked him. Like he, I mean, and obviously, like we talk about this with other serial killers. It's like you picture them when you think of a serial killer, it's like this must be a monster, right? Like this must be, and now deep down, yeah, they are monsters, but you expect them to look like the boogeyman or whatever. But they often are very charming people and they have to be. Otherwise, they would not be able to lure victims away with them. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, very, very, very old. So old and decrepit, he's literally about to die. What is keeping this man together? Nobody knows. Mm -mm. Nobody knows. So Delia was, Edward's mom, said that he had a kind face and Albert Budd Sr. and the other children thought He's just an honest farm worker and he's just super old and he can't do anything for himself anymore. So he needs a young boy or young man to come help him lift heavy things because he's old, so old. He's probably incontinent and he also probably doesn't have any teeth left because he's so old. So, you look so old. <laughs> and she was only in her probably mid, mid-30s then. Oh, Bless her, I know. You look so old. But he wanted to he wanted to hire Edward and then his friend Willie. And surprise that guy's name wasn't Albert as well. <laughs> there's well, yeah, there's a lot of Alberts. Frank told the buds that he was a father of six. His wife had left him and she took the children over a decade earlier. Liar liar, pants on fire. He had farm hands, but one was leaving him, so Frank needed to replace him. And he offered Edward and Willie 15 bucks a week each, which was like a huge deal to them. And they were like, this is a great opportunity. Like, this is exciting. So he's like, okay, 
great, I'll come back in a few days to pick them up. And then he didn't show up. So instead, they got a handwritten telegram from Western Union stating that he'd gotten held up and he'd be there by the next day. I do not know why he did that. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what happened to have held him up. But again, this is like going to be his undoing, but he sends a handwritten letter. So he does show up on June 3rd and he came bearing gifts for everybody. He brought strawberries and creamy pot cheese. Creamy pot cheese, gross. Sounds really gross. Yeah, I don't (laughs) know if that's like a fondue. Like (laughs) strawberries and pot cheese? Have you ever tried fondue? Yeah, this is, uh, that sounds just yucky. It's like, dip the strawberry in your pot cheese. (laughs) Yuck. But he was like, you know, this came from my farm and where I do farming in Farmingdale. And the family invited him to stay on for lunch. And so he did. And of course, he's like chatting him up and everything's great and all this stuff. They send five-year-old Beatrice to retrieve Edward from his friend's apartment. And Albert Fish, well, Frank Howard, whatever. Gave her a nickel for her help. So he's like throwing money at them, right? He's like, oh, I'm such a help to you guys, right? Like, here I am. I've come into your lives. You need this money. And like, I'm just giving everybody money for their, you know, little bit of help. I'm so sweet. Like, whatever. Well, he's probably like really blinding them with all this money and like disarming them because he's like, Uh ooh, here's this. Yeah. They're like intoxicated by it. Yeah. Yeah. And he told them he'd earned his fortune as an interior designer. And then in his retirement, he bought a 20-acre farm with his savings. This is like when um, fucking Robert Durst on his apartment application was like, it's like, what's your job? And he's like, chief botanist. It's like, (laughs) no, it's not. (laughs) Friggin' idiot. Well, that's something a rich person who has no concept of reality. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm an interior designer. It's like, okay. Like, okay, Joanna Gaines, who do you think you are? (laughs) Exactly. I don't see a Magnolia anywhere. Right? What was, oh, Hildy from Trading Spaces. Oh, Hildy. He walked in, he got all his money because he was like, I think what we need to do is we need to super glue a bunch of fake flowers all over this bitch. (laughs) And then bring in some sand for the floor. Was it your favorite, Hildy? I think, yes, because she was the worst. Oh. Anytime she was on there, I was like, yes, because somebody's shit was getting fucked up that day. (laughs) Oh, I thought you genuinely liked her designs. No. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel better then because I was worried. crazy. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so... He's talking about his interior design efforts, accomplishments, <laughs> accolades. Yeah. And then 10-year-old Grace Bud enters the room. And she was described as having huge brown eyes, dark hair, pale skin, and pink lips. So he originally came to the house with taking Edward, right? And then he found out that Willie wanted to come too. So he's like, okay, well, that's a bonus. But when he saw... I guess she went by Gracie. When he saw Gracie, she was wearing her white silk confirmation dress, white silk stockings, and a pearl necklace because she'd just come from church. And he immediately changed his plan and his only intent was to take her at that point. 10 years old. Mm -mm. 
he had to warm her up though, right? So he's like, oh, you know, I bet you're a pretty smart girl. I bet you're a really good counter. And so he pulls out this wad of money and this is more money than this family has ever seen. And he asks her to count the money so that she can prove how smart she is. And she did and told him that he had 9250 in his pocket, which would be over $1,300 today, which is like, who carries that much money with them? It's weird. Right. He told her that she was a very good counter. He gave her 50 cents and told her to buy her and her sister some candy with it. And then he also gave the boys $2 to go to the movies. Stop buying everybody's affection. I know. It's so weird. So... And then he's like, oh, you know what? Um, I forgot I have my niece's birthday party at my sister's house today. She's turning 10. And he's like, you know, I bet that's something that that Gracie would really like to go and do. You know, she'd be around other girls her age. And I bet the girls would really like her and it would be fun. They're going to have games and food and, you know, all this other stuff. And their mom, Delia, was like, I don't know if we should, if that's really a great idea. And Gracie really wanted to go. And Albert was like, okay, just, you know, just let her go. Like, it's just a party. She'll have fun, like, whatever. So they let her go. And he's like, okay, I am going to definitely have her back by nine o'clock. And Delia's like, okay, well, where are you guys going? And he's like, oh, you know, my sister lives in an apartment at Columbus in 137th Street. And so Gracie throws on her coat and hat with gray streamers. They head out the door. Then, of course, they don't come back. The Bud family reports her missing and they launch an investigation. And of course, we've got an immediate dead end because when they go to check into Frank Howard and where his whereabouts are, He's not a real person. Yeah, they're like, I've never heard of the who the hell person that is. No. And then they also were like, not only is he not a real person, but the address that he gave for his sister was not legit because Columbus... Existent. Yeah. Columbus ended long before 137th Street. So like, there's, there's not even that cross street in existence. Wow. That's got to be... So like, devastating. I cannot imagine that as the parents, like Delia and Albert Sr. and like just your stomach dropping, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. Because it's like, where do you go now? I, we have nothing to go on. I have no idea where to look for her. Mm-hmm. Next, you're going to tell me Farmingdale is in a real town. I know, right? I don't know if it is or not, but anyway. Well, it's no Winchesterton Fieldville, but still. But still. So the police continue their investigation, and of course, they're not getting anywhere. The Buds looked through photo books of criminals and psychiatric patients, but they didn't see anybody they recognized. Because remember, they had, he's been to their house twice now, and they've pretty much spent a full day with him the second time. So they know what he looks like. They got a good right, look at him. They could pinpoint him if they, yeah, if they needed to, if they yeah. could. So they don't see anybody in these pictures that look like who they spent time with. And they end up making flyers and they send them out to stations across the country. And the flyers had a picture of Gracie on it. And then they had a description of, quote unquote, Frank Howard. They got lots of tips and sightings, but nothing came of any of them. They did hunt down the Western Union where Fish had sent the handwritten letter saying that he was running behind. And they said that the writing and grammar suggested that this man was more educated than most other people at the time. 
And they also found the push cart that sold him the pot cheese, you know, that he brought with the strawberries. And they were both, like both the Western Union and the push cart were in East Harlem. So they at least have, you know, okay, well, the those two things happened in East Harlem, but still, you know, where do you go from there, really? Yeah, exactly. So on September 5th, 1930, the police had arrested Charles Edward Pope in the disappearance of Gracie Budd. His estranged wife had accused the 66-year-old apartment superintendent, and he would spend months in jail. He was tried, found innocent, and released on December 22nd. By November of 1934, the Bud case was still unsolved, and Detective William F. King was not giving up. He decided to leak false information to a newspaper reporter to try and get under Frank Howard's skin. On November 2nd, an article ran that said, I, the, the reporter, Checked on the Grace Bud mystery. She was eight when she was kidnapped about six years ago. And it is safe to tell you that the Department of Missing Persons will break the case. Or they expect to in four weeks. Then days later, the Bud family received a letter. This letter provided a detailed and disturbing description of what happened to their daughter Gracie years earlier. The handwriting of this letter matched the letter they got from Frank Howard back in 1928, telling them that he was running behind. Unfortunately, Mrs. Budd was illiterate and young Edward had to read the letter to her. Okay, we're not going to read this whole letter. But he starts out completely nonsensically talking about going back to 1894, talking about this friend who was a captain and talking about going to Hong Kong, China. And he essentially is getting into that. He tells this whole story about how this friend ends up telling him that meat from kids is the most like delicious and it's the most tender and stuff. Mm. <sighs> so this reminds me of that Sword and Scale episode with, what was his name? Ronald something? Ronald White? Mm. You, that was the, honestly, that was the first true crime podcast that I'd ever listened to. And you were like, I think this might be something that you would be interested in hearing about because you would listen to Sword and Scale and you were like, I can't listen to it. And it took me all of, it was the, it was St. Patrick's Day, like four years ago. And it took all day long for me to get through it. And I was like, I felt so disgusting afterwards. It was awful. Oh man, yeah, because I'm like, I'm not, I don't remember this one. So I guess I just didn't listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think his name is Ronald White, but Ronald something. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, this is really hard for me. Like, there's, you can find these letters in, in full online if you want to, but it's incredibly disturbing. There's so much detail and it, you know, it doesn't add to the investigation, like we said. So I, I, I don't know. I just personally can't go through all of the details either, but. Basically, what he says is that he had made up his mind that he was going to eat Grace when they were at lunch. And he, of course, did not take her to a party. He took her to an empty house that he'd already picked out. When they got there, he went on up the stairs and told her to stay outside for a minute. He got completely undressed so he didn't get blood on his clothes. And she was picking wildflowers and he told her to come on upstairs. And when she got upstairs and he was naked, she started crying and then he attacked her. And he said she fought 
very hard. And he says he choked her to death and dismembered her. And he says that he ate most of her body. And over the course of nine days. And the way that he writes about it is absolutely disgusting. Like if you mm-hmm. if you see the way he talks about it to to a child's mother, right? To her family. It does seem like there's something not right there, right? You know, like maybe he does have some form of, I mean, I don't know, but there is nothing ever in this man's history. There is nothing ever that could have ever happened to him that will make me feel any ounce of like feeling sorry for him, sympathy for him, anything like that, because of the way that he talks about eating this woman's daughter. Don't fucking tell me that you have, that this isn't just you being evil. That's all there is to it. No, I totally agree because I think from the letter, and of course we didn't read it verbatim because of our hearts and feelings, but in the letter, it's almost, it has this tone of him kind of rubbing it in. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't see remorse there. I also don't see, I think we've used the term like mental illness doesn't know that it's wrong. So to rub it in like that, if he if if you if you were going to say that mental illness played a part in this, I don't think that he would know enough to it wouldn't be so malicious. He wouldn't come at it being like, ooh, look what I did. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. I just don't. No, I don't. And and whether or not he does have you know, some issues there. This is, he's not criminally insane. Mm -mm. I think he has a better shot at convincing me that he was taken over by a demon and needs to be exercised than saying mental illness because Uh it just doesn't pan out for me. I don't know. That's going to be a no from me, dog. Exactly. This, This ain't it. And you could argue, yeah, you have someone who could, is capable of doing something like this is insane, but that's not a medical assessment. That's a judgment call. Right. Yeah. The thing about the letter is, though, that as outrageous as it is that he sent it, how hateful it was that he sent it, it's kind of, in a way, a godsend to the investigation. Mm-hmm. Because it had an emblem on the envelope, which was NYPCBA. S R S C R A T P. Yes. Like so many letters. And that turned out to be an emblem for the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. Everybody knows about the NYPCBA. I know I donate uh, $40 to the NYPCBA every year. You get your NYPCBA uh, commemorative pin every year for your Mm -hmm. kind and generous donation. Yes. Yeah, I have 30 of them. Of course. I wear them every day. Of course you do. But they go to this place and they found out that all the members, now this is so wild, but like amazing. They make everybody who's a member do a handwriting test and they keep it on file for comparison. For the private chauffeurs 
benevolent association. <laughs> I don't know why, but they take it seriously over there. Right? It's pretty crazy. So when the police get there and they want to find out like who could have sent the letter, a janitor came forward and he was like, look, listen, I took some of the stationery and I left it in my room where at this place he'd been living, I guess he'd been renting a house or a room. So I don't guess I know that he'd been in a rooming house at 200 East 52nd Street. I even know where it is. I don't, I don't know why I said, I guess. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you know everything have about very, very detailed. <laughs> I have really uh, good guesses. Information. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it was at 200 East 52nd Street. You're um, such an oracle, I swear. I know. It's crazy. But it was occupied by multiple people. So the janitor had recently moved out, and then another man had moved into that room. Well, he left it there. So the landlady confirmed that a man matching the description of the quote-unquote gray man had been living in that room for the past two months. And she gave them his name, which was Albert Fish. This dumb bitch. (laughs) I mean, keep writing letters. Keep sending handwritten shit, dude, all day long. Go ahead. Well, yeah, but thank God the police were like, well, we're actually looking for a Frank Howard, not an Albert Fish. So we're... We're going to be on our way. Yeah. Thanks for helping. Wrong guy. Thanks anyway, though. Clearly not the same person. Right. Unfortunately, Fish had left the rooming house a few days before that, but he did ask his landlady to hold a letter that was supposed to be coming for him. So it did seem like he was going to be coming back. But at this point, he's almost being solely supported by his son, Albert Jr., So Al Jr. worked for the Civilian Conservation Corps in North Carolina, and he would send money to his dad. And the last check was the one that Albert Sr. had asked his landlady to hold for him. So you can't keep his check from him, you know? He's Mm -hmm. definitely going to come back to get that no matter what. The detectives intercepted the letter, and the lead detective on the case, William F. King, hung around the rooming house waiting for Albert to return. And when they encounter him, he tried to evade arrest by whipping out two razor blades to attack the detective. He's like, it's the peaky fucking blinders. What are you doing? <laughs> right? He like had a lady bick. And he's just like, <laughs> I'm your Venus. I'm your fire. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably not a Venus. Probably. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Those aren't so dangerous. I don't know. They've <laughs> damn near taken you out multiple times. Okay, that's true. On your kneecaps. Nobody, I have no business use, needing five razor blades to shave my legs, okay? <laughs> no, you can do enough damage with one, sure. Yeah, yeah. So they get him anyway because like whatever. And he, I think he like grabbed something else and tried to use it as a shield. Like he was just like, you'll never catch me alive. Or I don't know. It's just like, what are you going to do, dude? Like. You're done for. Yeah, they have guns, and you have two tiny razor blades. Mm-hmm. And you're a feeble old and man. Yeah, and you're using a pillow as a shield. Like, yeah. stop it. Come on. So he was arrested December 13th, 1934. He was 64 years old by this point, and it had been six years since Grace Bud had disappeared at that point. So at this point, though, he just didn't care anymore. So now that he's caught, you see this, you know, it kind of goes, it could go any way, right? Like 
people either like a lot of these serial killers or whatever, it's like you're caught dead to rights, you know, like it's you, you did it. And they'll either clam up and be like, nope, not going to give you any information. And sometimes just to be an a-hole, like not tell you where remains can be found or anything like that. And then sometimes they're just like, okay, well, I'm caught. I might as well just tell you everything. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was in the second camp. I'm caught. I'll tell you everything. So he reiterated pretty much what the letter said about Grace Bud that he'd, you know, gone there to take Edward. Willie would have been a bonus, but he saw Gracie. Everything changed. Um, there is some. There's some. I don't even know if it's debate. He says in the letter to her mom that he did not rape her, but he tells the police that he did. So I I don't know. But here's my theory on Albert fucking Fish. I think Mm. that Albert Fish is one of those people or was one of those people that it's like a shock value type of thing. He wants to be the worst of the worst. So he's going to say anything that he can, true or not, to incite fear and hysteria in whoever he's talking to. So he's just going to say the worst kinds of stuff. So people were like, oh, dear God, I can't believe this person is capable of this. Because why else would he send the letter that he sent? He wasn't doing it out of the kindness of his heart to be like, hey, you don't need to worry anymore. Your daughter's not going to come back to you. Yeah. The things that he wrote in that letter were just to be shitty Mm -hmm. and to shock the people. Yeah, absolutely. Just hateful. Yes. Yeah, he's such a bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. Or he was, whatever. But yeah, he and he went back and forth on that. Like, yeah, I did. No, I didn't. Yeah, I did. So, I mean, it's just shitty. Yeah. The police ended up going back to the house because, you know, he took her to that abandoned house that he'd picked out or whatever. And they did find some remains. They said that he was not displaying characteristics of psychosis. He was called a psychopathic personality without a psychosis. He was calm and composed. A psychiatrist involved with the case said there was no known perversion that he did not practice and practice frequently. Basically, like if you can think of something fucking horrible, he did it. Yes, but he was not in a state of psychosis, which I think is exactly what we already discussed. Yeah, yeah. He's incredibly fucked up and Mm -hmm. did some really terrible things, but mental illness, I don't think plays a part in this. No. He even told them that he enjoyed inflicting pain and feeling pain so much that like, I mean, we already know that he drank his own urine, the urine of other people, his own shit, the shit of other people. He burned himself with hot pokers. You know, his kids said that he would hit himself with a brush that had needles on it, like all these things, and he would get them to beat him and all this stuff. But he also told them that he'd been sticking himself with needles in the uh, perineum, which is the the medical term, but you might know it as the nacho or the taint. I mean, I'm just, is that not what you know it by? I don't know. It's nacho butt, but it's nacho balls, you know? <laughs> no, Torella. <laughs> but he would put the- I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I know, it's so gross. But he would do, he would like put these needles, like stick himself with these needles, sometimes sticking it in so far that they would just go up into his body. You and where they would- pass out. So sorry. Where they would stay forever. 
And they did an x-ray done and they found upwards of 30 needles just floating around inside of his ass. Uh, I mean. So why is one of his nicknames, I guess nobody knew about it, but he's like uh, the the pincushion fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is a, a pincushion for sure. 100%. He ended up trying to claim insanity, of course. Um, he said that the voice of God was telling him to kill children, but the jury was like, I don't fucking think so. And yeah. he was found guilty of the premeditated murder of Gracie Budd. He was sentenced to death and he went to Sing Sing. And they, at at this time, his kids were grown. They're ages 21 to 35 when he was arrested. And... <laughs> He he can't understand um, why they haven't come to visit him because he's like like the only emotion he's ever expressed in any of this any um, feeling or worry about anything is well I'm still worried about my children you'd think they'd come visit their old dad in jail but they haven't <laughs> why do you think that is Albert it's so funny to me to hear that kind of statement because. You hear about it a lot. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, I know we've covered multiple cases where something like this happened, especially snapped episodes. I think it happens often, but it reminds me of like the the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, and he did some unspeakable, terrible things because he has no empathy, no remorse, had, excuse me. He's he he wasn't he was incapable of love and care about anything for anybody except for his children. And it's like, I don't know. It's just amazing to me how of all of the things, because obviously you can't take responsibility or accountability for what you've done. But in the end, you're like, but what about me? Why doesn't mm-hmm. anyone want to come see me? It's yeah. Like, Get over yourself. Why do you think they don't, they want to disown you and not, not even remember that you're a part of the family? Exactly. You like, let's, creep. let's put some fucking facts together, you idiot. Like, You're not this guy who's been running around like donating meals to the like those who need food. You're like, God, fuck off, dude. Maybe they want to forget that you even exist because you're a piece of shit. Yeah. And now they're going to spend the rest of their lives needing therapy or being in therapy. And I sure hope they got it because I can't imagine what they're going, what they had to go through after that. Well, let's say that he didn't do, he didn't commit the murders that he committed that he didn't do the unspeakable things that he had done. Let's say that that's off the table. Just the mere fact that he had them whip him for erotic pleasure, that's enough. That's enough, exactly, yeah. Like, it's that, you know, you're so far from the line, you can't even see the line anymore. The line is a dot to you. Like, exactly. (laughs) You crossed it way the fuck back there, you can't even see it anymore. Like, fuck off, dude, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he was obviously found, he was found guilty for for the murder of Gracie Bud. He ended up telling police that he had, quote unquote, children in every state. And he says at least 100. So he's trying to claim responsibility either for many more murders or he's saying he fathered that many children. But I think he's trying to say he had that many he more committed murders. committed the murders, yeah. Yeah, and he did end up confessing to the murder of Francis McDonnell. He confessed to that after he was sentenced. And 
He also ended up confessing to the murder of Billy Gaffney. And somebody, there was a witness that said that he recognized Albert Fish as the man who he saw with a young boy that matched Billy Gaffney's description at the time that Billy Gaffney had gone missing. So he said he saw this man uh, getting onto a trolley with a little boy and the little boy was crying and he wouldn't stop. And um, he said he specifically remembered it because it was February and the boy didn't have a jacket or coat and he was crying for his mother. And he said the boy had to be dragged on and off the trolley by the old man. Mm-mm. That absolutely fucking breaks my heart. And Billy Gaffney's mother went to visit him in prison to see if she could get details because, you know, even though he said, yeah, I did it, he's he was never formally charged with it or anything like that. So he ended up giving her an incredibly detailed confession. Again, you can find this online. I'm not going to read it. I can't. I just no, no. cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, on January 16th, 1936, Albert Fish was taken to the electric chair. On his way to Old Sparky, Fish told the police officers, it will be the supreme thrill, the only one I haven't tried. See? Mm. Mm-hmm. Why you gotta be weird? He's such an asshole. He uh, was strapped in and reportedly said, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, okay, whatever. And they flipped the switch at 11.06 p.m. And they said, it's like kind of like a little urban legend now, that it took him longer than usual to die because the needles in his body conducted the electricity. Whoa. And my favorite part of the whole thing that Sloan wrote was that needly taint bitch was finally pronounced dead and later buried in the cemetery at Sing Sing. <laughs> needly taint bitch. I love it. Because that's what he oh, is. Oh my God. It, no, it totally is. That This is one of the only, well, that's not true. This is one that's coming to mind because we're doing it. Where, remember on the Green Mile, when fucking Percy, yes. you're supposed to wet the sponge and he didn't? Yeah, that was awful. But I'd be okay if Albert Fish got met that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't give a but the, fuck. But, yeah, but the thing is, he would have too. Like he would have been like, he yeah. Oh, he would have uh-huh. been okay with yeah. it. He would have been happy about it. Yeah. So then it's like you don't want. I know it's it's so fucked up because it's like mm-hmm. you almost just want him to get life in prison. So that he has to like spend the rest of his days and you know all that. And I know again, there's so many feelings about the death penalty, the electric chair in particular, it's barbaric. It's Mm -hmm. heinous. There is not one thing I can think of that would be too barbaric for this guy. I just... See, yeah, that's the thing because a lot of times, you know, it's that eye for an eye mentality, but he would have preferred it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's ridiculous. But, but, yeah. But, there's a couple of other murders that they believe that he was involved in. But honestly, the the victims are a little, they're older than his kind of go-to. Although, I mean, he wanted to take 
the older boys at the Bud's house. So That's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think he was kind of, uh, you know how Israel Keys talked about like, okay, oh, yeah. well, that's not ideal, but it's who I have available because there's nobody around. It's opportunistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was pretty opportunistic too, but he's never been, I mean, it's never been confirmed any other, any other victims for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we did also want to mention, and I'm glad, thank you, Sloan, for putting this in here, um, in our Facebook hangout group. So we've got like our discussion group, which is anybody who listens to the show can join it and like, you know, talk about cases and stuff like that there or 90 shit. We talk a lot about 90 shit too, but oh yeah. Um, Aaron call. Yeah. But we have a hangout group, which is for our Patreon members, $10 and up level. So it's just a little smaller and get a little more kind of intimate discussion there, I guess. But Aaron Call posted a meme about serial killers getting cool nicknames and like making them sound badass, but we should really be giving them like, you know, stupid names that make them sound like idiots. And um, she suggested we should have a segment where we come up with stupid names the serial killer should have had. So Sloan went with this and kind of ran with it. So Fish was known as one of America's most notorious and disturbed killers and had been called many names, the Moon Maniac, the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, um, the Boogeyman. And um, I do like your your pincushion. Something about pincushion. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, pincushion should be in there. She also came up with the pee-drinking pedophile, which goes... The Grody Geezer. I like that one. Oh, I do too. Farmer from Farmingdale who farms on his farm. Yes. Yeah. Fish and shit, like fish and chips, but he ate shit, so it totally fits. <laughs> and um, my personal favorite as well, Needly Taint Bitch. Yes, I do enjoy that one as well. That's exactly what he is. The pee drinking pedophile pincushion. Oh, you add yeah, add it on there. That's a lot of good alliteration. Like All it. right. So yeah, you guys post what uh what your name for him would be. Come up with come up with whatever you want. It's because we we certainly don't want him to just sound cool. No, yeah, no, we need him to sound as awful as he actually is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yes. that's the whole case. You guys, it took us three days to record this, like partially because of technical things because something like that is always going to happen, but also partially because it's just so heavy. And like, we didn't even read some of the stuff because we just couldn't like not out loud anyway, but it's like, once you know this shit, you just can't unknow it. And God, it hurt my heart. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually had plans to uh, record more today than, than, and you know, we wanted to record more, but Torella was like, I can't after this, like, can we just Oh, I was going to say, put a pin in it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You'll never think it. And you're like, you so. You're never going to be able to look at a pincushion the same way again. All you're going to see I'm just is gonna Albert look Fish's at, taint. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to look at my body and be like, oh, possible pincushions. <laughs> You'd die. I would literally die. You'd yes. pass out in your own vomit and vomit in your own pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you find Tori? Like on the floor, she was sewing and... <laughs> yeah, Down I don't know she how went. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we're sorry this was a gruesome ass one, but yeah, sorry. But you know, um, it, it, just because, just because 
if we don't talk about it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And, you know, yeah, that's our that's story. True. We're sticking to it. So, yeah. So hopefully um, tomorrow is better. Mini. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, y'all, before we end the show today, we've got some shout outs for some new patrons. We're so excited. We love this part. Yay. Hey, girl, thanks to Rachel M., Kathy H., Nilda S., Jen P., Kristen, Sharon H., Morgan J., Justine, Gina P., Allie B., Kashana B., Rachel C., Abby P., Marlene D., Amanda H., Spencer N., Casey P., Eric M., Nicole K., Bronte B., Jenna C., Kate L., Danette F., Sonia C., Brandy G., Rachel B., John W., Genevieve P., Blair F., India H., Kimberly P., Romy C., Lucy P., Hannah G., Nicole K., Marissa K., and Paige O. And thank you, as always, to our producers for the month. We've got Megan H., Skyla C., and Greg B. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Yay! We couldn't do without you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 